0: Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now enjoy the sermon.
1: So appreciate our worship leaders. I told them no pressure, but today's all about worship. I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4, if you would. We'll go ahead and display the sermon notes with the other machine up here. On the PC. Okay. <laughs> Technical issues. You know, I tried to help with the technical issues this morning. I was no help. (laughs) Well, this reminds me of a story. There was once a mom who could not get her son out of bed to go to church. Son, you need to get to church. The son is just whimpering. I don't want to go to church. The church sanctuary is cold. And I don't think they care if I'm there. And besides, they don't like me. And the mom looks back at the son and says, come on, son, you've given me three reasons why you can't go to church, but I'm going to give you three reasons why you should go to church. One, sanctuary's not cold. You can wear a jacket. Two, they do like you. And three, you're the pastor. Now get out of bed. so there you go. <laughs> Today's message from Acts 4 happens to be about worship. And really, I want to ask the question today, what is our attitude about worship? I'm apparently unable to switch. Let's, oh, okay, I can, I can hold on. Um, but what is our attitude about worship? I want to invite you to Uh, Turn with a Bible, and it might be really important that you have your Bible. Use one in front of you. And you turn to Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verse 23, uh, just a few verses here. And the circumstance of what's going on this is the first century church, and some of the disciples have been busy sharing the good news of Christ in the city of Jerusalem. And this is very unpopular. They're preaching, this is just after the resurrection of Jesus, that Christ is alive and that he's real. And they're giving them some really pointed, pointed sermons about Christ and who he is. To them, it's very difficult for them to hear. Of all things, they heal someone. There was a person who was a beggar, and this was a very public healing. Well, members of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, they did not like it. They felt very threatened by this new movement. The first believers in the book of Acts called themselves followers of the way. Do you remember Jesus called himself the way? They were followers of the way, and and there were religious leaders who were very intimidated by this, who did not believe that Christ was alive. They rejected it. But the followers of the way were gaining popularity. By this point, already in Acts chapter four, there were over ten thousand believers. Uh, the church is exploding, and they don't know what to do. What we're about to read is somewhat political, in the sense that they decide to throw them in jail because they don't know what to do with them. They throw them in jail overnight because they won't quit preaching about Jesus, and they're becoming really popular. So this picks up right here in verse 23 upon their release from jail. So would you stand with me as you're able? I might ask you this question as we read this. Where do you turn when life is upside down? On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Do you believe that about tough circumstances? Wow. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, I love this, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Are these the earliest Quakers? I think they were. (laughs) And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. And don't we long to be this church? Please be seated. So where do you turn when life is upside down? I love this Passage in verse 23, and I'm so thankful for my technologically wonderful people. Thanks for fixing that. Verse 23 On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. Don't you like that? If you just got released from jail and you were jailed wrongly for no reason, they gave him a stern warning and didn't know what to do with them and kicked them out, where would you go after you got kicked out? Maybe you'd go to your family. Um, Maybe you would go to a law office so you could file a complaint. Maybe you would go to the local tavern for a couple of drinks and try to forget all of those problems. The first place that Peter and John went after being in jail all night was to the church. They went to their own people. They prayed together. They raised their voices together. They recalled the promises of Scripture together. And it was so rowdy that the earth shook And I wonder how many of us really consider our church family that kind of a refuge. So where do you go when life's upside down? Maybe when life is pressured, when life is so busy and crowded and painful and difficult. You know, for some, church is sort of the first thing to go in the schedule. I'm too busy. I've got too many problems. I've got too much to handle and too much to deal with. And and we sort of begin sloughing relationally. You know, small group, I don't know if I have time for that. Um, reading my Bible every morning, I'm not sure. Coming to church on a regular basis. These good disciplines that we have, I think that they're there for Peter and John and these disciples because they just knew they needed it. I'm sure that the whole church wasn't gathered because there were so many of them. But I picture this as some kind of a smaller gathering of believers, don't you? Those who had been praying for their release, those who knew exactly what was going on, had been perhaps praying for them through the night. They're connected with a group of people. Church, for them, is a lifeline. It's something that's absolutely essential. You know, Teresa and I were in Costco yesterday. That's such a brave thing to do, to go to Costco on a Saturday. Am I right? That is not where I go when I'm under pressure. We needed something. <laughs> Went to Costco, and we ran into a couple that were baseball friends. So our son and their son played together when they were like 12 years old. And it was just like picking up where we left off, just kind of talking to them and so forth. And, and they were just so excited about their church. And that's what they chose to tell us about. And they said, now, you're a pastor, right? They weren't even sure. I thought I remembered that. You still at the same church? Yeah. We were talking about that. Church is a lifeline for them. Teresa and I walked away from that conversation and and you could tell they need their church. Sort of like this first century picture in Acts 4 that when the pressure is on, they wouldn't possibly think of leaving that out. It's their go-to place. They went to their own people. Can you relate? And I hope you can, because I think in this culture, so many people can't. They don't feel connected. They don't feel known. As I've been thinking about vision, I've been thinking about the George Fox University slogan. Do you know what it is? It's be known. It's two words. It's be known. And I've been wondering if Robin Baker would let me steal that from Meridian Friends Church for a few things, right? I mean, be known. If there's one thing that I think Meridian Friends can offer really well right now, it's to be known. If you're a visitor here, you hardly have a chance to not be noticed. Am I right? <laughs> we know you. <laughs> we know that you're here. We want to pray for you. We want to know what's going on. Be known. Isn't that a little bit different, this picture and acts of their worship gathering, than the modern scene of church and what church maybe is sort of changing into? Have you noticed their instinctive response, their real world trial was to gather with God's people in worship. I sometimes wonder what these people would think if they could see what we currently do in America with regard to church. Last week, you were so patient with me because I showed a video that I like called Me Church. Do you want to see the follow-up to Me Church? Can you keep laughing with me at ourselves? Not anybody else. That's the caveat. Are you ready? Oh, you're supposed to fill this in first. I'll get it to you afterwards. You ready? Here it is.
0: We're just about ready for the big show to start here in sunny Steepleville. And what a day it is. It just doesn't get any better than this. I'm Bob Cobb, joined by my colleague Taffy Babbler. And you're looking at beautiful aerial shots provided by Airship Worship, now broadcasting in HD. And Love to see the players getting focused, getting their mind right, getting in the proverbial zone. And here are the starting lineups, brought to you today by Stump and Sons Altars, keeping knees at ease since 1933. Dan (laughs) Barbosti, pastor. The Bamford Theological Seminary. Jerry Woodwind, worship. Eastern Southwest Central School of Divinity. Frank Bander, associate assistant to the intern of the Executive Minister of Community Ministry, GED. Jerry, how is the injury? Uh, you know, it's it's fine. There's some soreness. Uh, x-rays were negative, but I should be fine as long as I stay away from B-flat.
1: Are you worried about Uh, re-injuring it?
0: Um, you know, as long as I I play hard
1: and and play at my pace, uh, I think I should be fine. Have you ever bet on attendance? What? Have you ever taken anabolic steroids? No. Have you ever lip-synced worship? (laughs)
0: Listen, we're about to get started here. And here's the
1: kickoff. And
0: it's a slow play. Wow, that's big. The home team. You want to have a surprise or two up your sleeve. What I call mix it up ability. It sounds like the new Darlene Zeck or, or Zeke or Zeku. Zish. Yeah, Is it Zechi maybe? Uh, Darlene's a hash. Uh, let's go to our sideline reporter, Billy Sterpal. Uh,
1: this uh, crowd seems a little bit lethargic, but uh, this town is known for late crowds, so maybe by halftime they'll be a little more into it. It looks like Johnny
0: Weems is headed for an early exit. Chiefs fan, they play at 11. Oh my, look at this, a huge error, enormous. You're the media team, you're leading the league in fumbles, you can't let this happen, you can't let this happen. Terrible timing, especially on a new song. Look at this crowd, it's bedlam. Pandemonious. Look at Maggie Jensen, veteran over loud singer, she hasn't missed a word. What a performance. One of the greats, Bob. One of the greats.
1: (laughs) I see there's some humor out there. (laughs) Can you see why I just forgot all about the outline? We got to get to that video. Cracks me up. A few years ago, some of you walked into a first century Jewish synagogue ruins with us in Israel. And, and the thing that you probably noticed is the whole building was as big as this section of seats. And that's where Jesus opened the Torah. <laughs> and and I just think about how different church was then, right? It it was so different. And, and what did it look like then compared to what should it look like now? In the history of the church, as I read Acts, they were so engaged. They were so involved. They were all participating with passion and and interest, and engaged. Did you know, however, by the time the late 1400s rolled around just before the Reformation, that church had become a performance? Did you know that? The Reformation turned that around. Before the Reformation, church mass, church worship, was performed by professionals for you in a language you didn't even speak. And so it was something that you came to attend and to watch. And what's so interesting is now with the advent of different technologies and and so forth, I think we need to figure out in our generation what we think worship biblically needs to be. Because it seems like we almost have a similar kind of a challenge rising in the world with regard to the expectations of worship and why we would choose to worship in one place versus another place. I talk to so many people about church, and when they're really honest with me about why they don't come to worship, it sort of boils down to, the, to this. It doesn't feel relevant to them. Yeah, I got real world problems. I got financial problems. I got relational problems. I got this issue and that issue. When I come to church, it's nice. The people are nice. The Sanctuary is sometimes cold, but it, the people are nice. But I'm not sure what this has to do with that my real world. And what I see in Acts is that when these people faced real challenges in the real world, they turned to worship. So I want to invite you to fill this in. The church was meant to be, and we're looking at the book of Acts because it teaches us, it shows us biblically a blueprint of what the church can be. Would you agree with me? The church can be, if we look at the blueprint from 2,000 years ago, it can be a spirit-filled community Empowered by real worship to engage the real world. I noticed they talked about their problems in church. They prayed about their problems. Again, I think this is a smaller subset than the groups that met in the temple courts when when they met in that fashion. This is more the group that met every day in their homes. It's no wonder they were so interested and engaged. It was just their life. Church was their life. And it was something that they all knew they were needed for. I want to talk about what I feel are three essential qualities for worship. And the first one is this. Real worship, according to what's happening here in Acts, is always first and foremost, it's God-focused. They raise their voice together to God. Sovereign Lord, that word sovereign, Actually, in Greek is despotes, which, which isn't a pleasant connotation as the word developed, but it, it has to do with a sovereign who's a despot. It's someone who makes the ultimate decision and we don't have any say in it. They bring their real world problems to the only one they know is in absolute, final, unquestioned control, and it's the Lord. So they took their real problems... And they brought them into a worship that was authentic, that was connected, that was relevant, that was real. You, Lord, made the heavens and the earth and the sea. You ever just look around at creation and say, God, you're amazing. You put everything in them. God is the supreme. You know, uh, worship, another word for worship is to magnify or to glorify. When we magnify God, it's not that we make God bigger. God's already big. It's that we make God bigger in our thoughts. We make God bigger in our community. We make God more the focus in our lives, in our souls. Worship helps us to do that. Singing, often the songs that we sing are scripture, helps us to remember who God is and then who we are before God. And in that comparison, he is the sovereign, he is the Lord, he's magnified. And worship helps us remember, remember that. Just, could you shrug your shoulders and say, I'm not in control of the universe? Isn't that a good feeling? Because it's kind of messy right now. Maybe your personal world is messy right now. Shrug your shoulders and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's an act of worship. It's an act of worship to come into this place and to reverence Jesus and to say, you alone are sovereign. You alone are Lord. Why is this difficult for us? Well, I think a big reason in our world is we're just plain distracted. Don't you? There's just so many other things that we think are important. So many other things. And God says, I'll have no other gods before me. But we ignore that. And when we do, I do think that our worry, I do think that our problems follow us when we don't keep God's first, God first, when we're distracted. And, and we all are, aren't we? I mean, compared to the first century church, they are focused. Worship is what they live for. But we're pretty distracted. I think a a, a help for us, and I want to offer a couple of helps along the way, if our worship is going to be God-focused, I think we need to be really intentional about our preparation for worship. And the most obvious preparation is obviously what we do with our whole lives. If we're not busy listening to God, worshiping God, reading his word, fellowshipping with others throughout the week, worship is going to be boring. It's going to be irrelevant. It's not as if we're going to turn on a switch for a few minutes of time each week and suddenly be engaged. Worship is to be a 24-7 activity. It's all of our lives. You know, last week, the weekly question, we had great response to the weekly question about an act of service. We talked about the importance of service in the life of the church. Today we're talking about the importance of worship. We had 16 responses. Let me read a couple of them. Um, Someone said their most meaningful act of service, music, decorating. Um, I'll just read through several of them. Mentoring, um, Bible school, funeral kitchen help, scheduling meals for surgeries. I minister, I love this one, I minister to the drivers who take me to my medical appointments. I won't name you by name on this one, Bonnie, but I loved it. (laughs) I sometimes get them to church. I build friendships. Do you know what this stuff does? out there for what happens in here, Bonnie can't help herself. She'll say, that was a beautiful song after the song. And somebody else will say, that's right, amen, that's right. If we're engaged, someone else said working with abused women, Sunday school, launch pad, spring and fall cleanups, fellowship team, youth summer camps. By the way, somebody put fall cleanup. I love that one of the stewards got a pen and wrote that down. Because, because some of them that are busy fixing stuff, they, they don't like writing stuff. Are you with me? We're all different. Youth summer camps, um, preparing for a golf tournament that was a fundraiser to plant churches. Vacation Bible school, planting a friend's church. We have an online regular attender who was part of a church plant in Bakersfield, California. That, that gets my juices flowing. Um, fine arts committee, uh, musical ministries, and on and on and on. The most important preparation is how we choose to live our life the rest of the week. Would you agree with me? If you want your worship to be God-focused, and and we need it, our lives have to be God-focused. And just to be kind of practical, let me say this about preparation. There are also things we can do to fight this distraction that we all feel, even if your whole life is God-focused. Don't be in a hurry when you come here on Sunday morning. Don't be in a hurry. This begins the night before. You you are not suddenly going to have your heart ready for worship in the 10 seconds it takes to walk down the hallway and show up in this room. It happens the night before. For some, you know, this is simple, but laying out their clothes the night before, going to bed earlier, setting their alarm earlier, spending some time with the Lord, prayerfully inviting the Spirit to talk to you today, or that you can be used as an encouragement to somebody else who really needs it that you're going to sit by this week. Being intentional, walking into the sanctuary early. Teresa mentioned the beautiful prelude music. You hear what I'm saying? Our worship needs to be God-focused. It's reverent. It's not the same thing as barging into a football game just after the national anthem with your hot dog. It's about coming before the creator of all the sovereign Lord, the one who loves you so much, he released into the care of humanity his only son to die for our sins. He deserves the gift of worship. He is worthy of anything that we can give him. And we only do it like this once a week. Come with a holy expectancy. Real worship is God focused and it's Bible based. I'm looking at the blueprint here in the book of Acts. And one thing that I notice really strongly as they take their real world problems to real worship is that it's focused on scripture. You spoke, they said in prayer, by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. Do you know what they're doing when they say, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? They didn't make that up. They're quoting Psalm 2. They know scripture. Our worship will be better if we study God's Word. It may be kind of boring to us if we don't take any investment and interest in God's Word the rest of the week. I think a barrier that we all have as adults is this plateau. We sort of think that school is for kids. And that I'm done learning what I needed to know. And, in fact, the word academic means Unimportant. And we tend to think that continued learning is academic. It's not connected to real life. I want to tell you, God wrote you a love letter to help you with this life. You do not have to try to navigate this world by yourself. Study it. Fall in love with Scripture. Go deep. Don't somehow assume, I've already got it all. But I think that's a real challenge for us isn't it? It really is. You know, the more you learn, the more you want to learn. The more you learn, the more you find out you didn't know. A real education is learning something you didn't know you didn't know. And so that's why it's so easy to stay in ignorance. It's because you don't know what you don't know. Isn't that a true education? I mean, those who profess to be the biggest experts in the world, beware. I think the most educated people in the world are the most humble. Because they realize that they're only scratching the surface on any given topic. Are you a Bible scholar? Remedy, never stop growing. Go deeper, go deeper, go deeper. So that when you come together in the crisis, the first thing that comes to mind is God's promise. Those rulers, those Romans, those Sanhedrin leaders, they are not in control here. God's in control. How do they know that? It's because they knew the Scripture. They know. I wonder how some of this might play into our vision day. As we think about what God really calls the church to be all about, and so far I've only talked about service and I'm talking about worship. What is the church to be all about? And what's that going to look like in our generation? The book of Acts, it's amazing. Did you know that this whole book only covers like a 32-year period from 33 to 65? And, And the church explodes. It's a picture of a generation that was faithful to the Holy Spirit. What will our generation be like? What acts of the Holy Spirit could be written about in our time and in our generation Real worship, finally, is passionate and participatory. And really, this is the one thing that, that I, I've been trying to say the whole time. I'm sure you figured that out. It wasn't detached. Worship for these people was not an obligation or a dull habit. It was their life. They raised their voices together for one another. It's a picture of community. A worshiping community. It's it's a church that didn't want to have worship done for them. It's a church that knew that they needed to participate and be the ones who were worshiping with all of their hearts. You know, we live in a culture that doesn't know how to sing. Is that okay to say? By and large, today I sat with one ear to Teresa and one ear to Jim Williams. What a treat! I loved the music today. I could hear them singing in both ears. I love that. It's participatory. It encourages me to sing louder, by the way. Didn't you love the over-loud singer in the video? (laughs) I just love that. (laughs) I get it. I know I'm not supposed to sing over-loud, especially if I have a microphone or I'm up here. but, But doesn't the Bible say make a joyful noise? You've heard me say this before, but a lot of us consider ourselves prison singers. We're behind a few bars, and we don't have the right key. You know about prison singers. Just hear this. What I see that's raw and real and authentic and genuine and biblical doesn't have anything to do with the performance. And by and large, our culture does not know how to sing. I have been privileged to worship with, as perhaps many of you have, on a serve trip in Mexico. And I've heard nationals sing there boldly. And boy, do they worship a long time. Same thing in South America. I got to preach in a foreign language. Hardly know what I said. <laughs> but it sounded really cool <laughs> coming out from the other person. I said that. <laughs> and then they'd laugh when I didn't make a joke. I don't know. But their singing was raucous. And it went on and it went on and it went on. Were they in the right key? Probably not. But it was so joyful. And, and I just kind of think, as I experience that, that just feels right. Now, I think that being polished is really important because honestly, when we do make mistakes, it only calls attention to ourselves and and we're trying to magnify God. So I'm all for putting a lot of discipline and hard work into worship. I think it's really important. And I want to learn together with you what it means to participate in worship. We need to be led, but we need to follow. And we have people investing tremendously in our music ministry. And you know, I don't have to tell you, by and large, in our country, more and more people just don't sing. Am I right? I read an article for this sermon called Nine Reasons People Don't Sing in Church. And it's really interesting. And, and it's a genuine barrier in our culture. It's not unique to Meridian Friends Church at all. It, it's, it's something that I think I'd like us to think about and to figure out. What is real worship? Well, here's what it isn't. It's viewing church as a performance or as an obligation. Enough said? I think that's what it isn't. What is required for us is our investment and our intentionality. Can we do that? Pray that we will. I know that we can. You know, as I've been starting on this series of what the church is called to be, called to do biblically just five simple things as I've only gotten to the second one I feel affirmed that our church is doing a lot of things right I'm thankful for our investment in worship thankful but I also feel like I know in my heart I have so much further to go don't you this time, we're going to set aside a few minutes for listening and prayer, a time of open worship, a time of inviting the Spirit to speak to all of us personally, individually. I hope the Lord tells you something that you need to hear on an individual level. If you also are prompted to share something with all of us, be obedient to that prompting and share it the microphone. Vision Day is June 4th, but if God's speaking today, don't wait till June 4th. Let's all invite the Spirit to talk to us and to share with us and to speak with us. As a way of praying for God's leadership over us, I want to read Psalm 23: "The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want and friends, we, we don't lack anything with him as our shepherd. Amen. He
0: makes.